Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit, joined by our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, and very special guest this week, our Conduit Littles director, Audrey Cawthon, is with us today. Hi, Audrey. Hi, Mo. But she's she's not here for the reason maybe you would think she's here for. No, I mean, this is like could be one of our pinnacle moments on the podcast, <laughs> if I'm being honest. You know, when we invite our Conduit Littles director to join us, maybe you're thinking we're going to talk all things Littles and children and uh-huh. families, which or, all those things are great. Or you would think it's... Uh, it, Joseph, it's like the the quintessential Sunday school, yes, lesson. Definitely. Everybody learned about Joseph in uh, in Sunday school. The coat, <laughs> the, like the flannel graph with the guy, but then you had like the actual coat you put on them. It was yes. I remember it. my aunt Dorothy taught that at the Nazarene Church in uh, Superior, Nebraska. Yes, but no, that's not why. So I texted Audrey. We were texting about something. And she said something about, I'm not excited about the Joseph. Am I getting that? Am I remembering this right? <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm not excited about the Joseph thing. And so I assume, and I ask a question, something online is, oh, is it because of all the injustice that he faced? Because it's such a, because here's the thing, Audrey's an encourager. She's like, she's a happy, whatever. So I was just assumed that she just didn't like all, uh, how much Joseph. The sadness. To, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's what I asked her. But then she said, no, not really. And then she said. I think Joseph gets too much credit. Wow. Boom. So I'm like, this is epic. (laughs) So we're all excited about the Joseph series. We've got this whole thing planned out, feeling really great about it. And then a big bucket of cold water. Right. From Audrey about, yeah, he's, he gets celebrated too much. (laughs) Can I also point out though, the irony of this being such a special series being the last in our building. And like even one. that is special. Like, <laughs> so come he, on. So Joseph is still winning. <laughs> Joseph keeps winning, and Audrey can't stand it. So to, that's actually a really good point. So he's getting it again. And so to your point, what you're because uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but let me see if I'm communicating back to you what you said to me. It, he didn't really have it all that bad. Well, when you say it like that, it sounds pretty bad. But is it what? Maybe but, I, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth. But I understand that is what it sounded like, and there's there is a point to that. Uh, I think more than that is I feel like he gets glorified for his trials more than he does everything else. So instead of wreck, so okay, he we're giving him too much credit because he gets into prison. It's it's like it's the nice prison. It's like the white collar one. But are, but are you saying because he was a weasel that we're we're giving him too, a weasel too much credit? No, I don't think he was a weasel. I see. I totally, totally see. Jesus, not Jesus, God being in every everything in his life from the day he was born, who uh-huh. he was born to, in this big family, in this bloodline. Like I see it. I see it all. It's okay. all important. I just have a heart issue. Now, mind you, this is a heart issue on my well, maybe human. Maybe you're bringing heart. out something. Someone, but I feel like we try to paint this picture. I'm sorry, I don't want to criticize you, but this picture of <laughs> <laughs> Joseph. Come on, you can criticize me, Odge. What I do you know, mean you I want know. to criticize me? But this comparison of like leading up to Jesus and all the parallels between him and Jesus and the life and the story, and I totally see that. But I feel like in that. Joseph just gets this he was perfect from the moment he was born thing and I'm sorry but you can't convince me that a 17 year old boy who was favored by his father was perfectly kind and unarrogant and wholesome in all the ways that I feel like he gets the credit of being those things so what you feel like then is that we are we, well, and I think we all agree. Like we're not trying to deify. We should not deify J- Joseph. Uh, but the question then is, does he get too much credit without getting enough of the? Because uh, he's a seventeen-year-old boy. Like we're not we're not saying enough of how honorary he was. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I'm looking for. Yeah, it just I'm, feels like a. I, I can see. I can totally see your point. It's like a mischaracterization 
across the board of um, of all the wins without documenting any of the losses along the way. Right. Like I feel like he gets this this uh, picture painted of him, but somewhere between Job and Jesus, and he's so, not that. So Job, you're okay with? Uh, no. No. Wait, as a person? Well, or does the he story? get too much credit too, or is he? No. <laughs> No, he doesn't at all. That's a totally different thing. Yeah, that's so a whole other podcast. And Joseph do not get to be on the same playing field, is what you're saying. Yeah, that's kind of right. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. All right, I get that. Yeah, I thought it, uh, for me it was hilarious because everywhere I've been, every you know uh, sermon I've ever heard, like it is a we're making um, Joseph into this model of behavior, uh, and so when you said that, I was like, okay, that's really funny. We actually probably should talk about that because. I mean, you can't be alone, right? Or I mean, I or are you? I might like, be. I don't know. When you've we'll mentioned see. this to your friends, what's the response? Shock. They're like, what? Who has hurt you, woman? <laughs> <laughs> what father wound are you marrying? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. They're like, whoa. What 17-year-old man? <laughs> I know. <laughs> huh. Yeah, pretty much. But you can agree that there are some pretty great biblical principles and takeaways absolutely absolutely like so many and here is the disconnect i feel like between my head and my heart in my head and this is what i texted darren too i said something along the lines of like of course joseph is our last you know last series in our special building for the special whatever (laughs) being all sarcastic but genuinely i was like i'm excited and prayerful that the Lord will change my heart on this because it yeah. is a heart because I can see and I can connect the glory of God in all of it and how he used it. How I don't want to say anything you're going to say, but like yeah. in we're, the brokenness, like he redeemed it. And then some yeah. through so Joseph and through his obedience and in the jo- jail and in the pit and all that. So we're two weeks in. How, how's it going? Medium. Medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it didn't help that I said it was a story about the generations of Jacob and not Joseph. That was kind of, I felt like I was kind no, of No, that was super good. I was yeah, I, I definitely like thought, and I think I even said out loud, I do want to be a Joseph. <laughs> In the Juno generation. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you hear what I'm saying, Cody? <laughs> Talking to my husband. You proud of me? <laughs> so our first week we dove into, uh, Darren dove into the, the generations of Joseph, his father and his grandfather, so on and so forth, and how that that cycle, that generational cycle can take place. And if, if you're just catching up, you can follow the teaching on this podcast from a few weeks ago. And then we talked about it last week for the Deeper Podcast. And then this past Sunday, um, the kind of the main takeaway was just understanding that we all have our empty cistern um, or pit that we've either put ourselves in or have been pushed into. And how do we respond to that? Are we the victim or the victor? And how, how are we impacting others in that? Meaning, have we in, intentionally or unintentionally pushed someone into the pit mm-hmm. out of spite or anger or whatever the situation is? Yeah. Um, or are you currently in an empty cistern and need rescued and need out? And how do you do that? Yeah, the, the thing that jumped out at me when I was going through this time, and this is the second, maybe the third time I've gone through Genesis, but it was the first time it jumped out at me that it wasn't, a, like it's a pit in most, many translations like King James, but it's an empty cistern is the, uh, it's NIV translation, but it actually is the translation. Any place else this thing is used, it's talked about a cistern that's empty. And a cistern is? Yeah, so a cistern, especially if you have been in Middle Eastern countries or uh, I mean, heck, even in Haiti, like we will lay concrete cisterns in the ground for water. Like we're used to, you know, I, I got up this morning, I turned on the faucet to brush my teeth and water magically appeared. Like that's not how it happens in the in the vast majority of history. That's not how it worked. So they didn't have concrete in this day and age. So the only way to really get a cistern that would hold water is to carve one out of rock. And so metal tools by hand and um the, the the greatest disappointment was when someone got to the end of digging a cistern and found out it leaked yeah 
they also didn't have like Gorilla Glue or anything to plug holes with. And so the cistern for these guys, and it's, it's why they would have been here. The, 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 they, so they go to a town called Dothan, Genesis 37 tells us. They started in Shechem, but they ended up in a town called Dothan, which is about 12 miles away. And the name Dothan itself actually means two wells. Oh, like just the name of the town. They were going there for water. Like without water, they die. Without water, their, their livestock dies. And they're sitting beside one that's empty. There's no water in it. And I don't know, for some reason that jumped right out at me because I felt like, I mean, I, st- I still believe this, that there's nothing in the Bible that is accidental. Everything is there on purpose. God is in the details. And it jumped out that if they're putting their trust in an empty cistern, that they're, you know, this is the first time of many that that's going to happen in uh, Jeremiah 2, verse 13, when Jeremiah speaks to Israel, the descendants of Israel, we're talking centuries later, that they're back to, says, my, my people have committed two sins. You have forsaken the spring of living water, number one, and number two, and put your trust, uh, dug for yourself, trusted in cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. And so anyway, that jumped out at me as what is, what is God trying to tell us with broken cisterns? And, and that's what it came down to. We started talking about what those, what, like, what is a, an empty cistern? Like, what was he talking to Israel about? What was he talking uh, to us about? And in Israel, it was specifically speaking of them trying to do it their own way with religion, with laws, with even just forsaking him in general, the idols, idolatry, Baal worship, like all that stuff was there, empty cisterns. And as you know, we've talked about a lot around this office, those things are still all over the place today. Uh, science, religion, relationships. Uh, and I just felt like, you know, Joseph is in this empty cistern, but these brothers are about to learn a very valuable lesson, which is that uh, empty cisterns do not accomplish what you, what you want them to accomplish. Yeah. And man, I just feel like this particular topic in terms of what you're putting your faith into is, is magnified, at least for me, over the past 14, 15 months. Just looking around into, you know, the world, into our communities, into, you know, friends and family as to what folks have decided to put their faith into during hard times. Um, the, the most obvious is, you know, science or doctors or um, over this past six months, politics, government. And if we've learned anything and we've said this over the past several podcasts or several months if 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 we've learned anything is that there seems to be uh really no hope in any of those things ultimately right and if look if the last 365 days have taught us anything right it's that that those things i mean if you remember it was a year ago that we were told trust the science follow the science with no recognition that science doesn't actually say anything, scientists do. And so we're back to putting our hope in somebody. When I say putting our hope in it, what I mean is literally putting our hope in it. I mean, they, were, they have been deifying Fauci. You could read articles in the, in the New York Times and in the Atlantic that were deifying him. And as it has not been worked out, it actually, and I say deifying, it actually really has felt a lot like a religion because uh, just like a good religion, if it's working, he gets all the credit. If it's not working, then it must be that we're not obeying the rules, right? It's a right. win-win. Right. It's what religion is. Mm-hmm. Um, God, God knows that uh, Satan's greatest trick was not the prostitute. It was the Pharisee. And he is a Pharisee that has put down the rules and the regulations. And, you know, again, God knows this, too, that if anything required 100% for success rate, it was never going to succeed. He should have just called a pastor. We could have helped him with that. But when you look back over that, whether or not... You agree with masking, vaccines, all that stuff. What is inarguable, and that I talked about a little bit on Sunday, was that science that they were putting forward had everything to do with trying to help people avoid a virus and had nothing to do with their souls. I mean, we've experienced that on Sundays. You see people that have come to Conduit for uh, the very first time, and maybe they hadn't been out a, a while. Like the, the feeling of just walking into a room and seeing someone's face, seeing them smile, feeling that like that there's something to that that you're not getting at home locked up that you were designed for and I I read from that article and I'll just read that last quote but from the Guardian that John Harris wrote who's an atheist 
speaking of the last year, saying that look, for many of us, life without God turned out to be life without fellowship and shared meaning. And in the midst of the most disorienting, debilitating crisis most of us have ever known, that social tragedy now cries out for action, saying that, look, without Christianity, without any sort of faith, I have nothing to put anything in other than the science, and it did not help my soul at all, and it's left me lonely and depressed. Because they put it in the science, and they found out that that the cistern has some leaks. It's leaked. By the end of the year, it's all empty. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's gone. It's leaked out. There's cracks in, in the... Yeah. And you, know, you play it out to its logical conclusion, and you find that, wait, there's, there's cracks in this idea. There's leaks in this. Like, you can't even contain it. Yeah. Because it's taken on a life of its own, and it's gone. And what, you, what we've seen is, is true on a macro and a micro level, and that is this, that you know that it's a cistern. I know that I'm putting my trust in it completely. If it's taken away from me, how do I react? Yeah. And if I am freaking out, if I'm raging, if I'm angry, then that uh, is a cistern in my life. And I think sometimes God does that, whether it's employment or relationships and it's taken away, that in his mercy, he's actually pulled me away from that cistern to show me that I had put my trust in something that was empty. Because, you know, he knows I'll just sit around keeping digging. You know, I'm just, I'm a hundred feet deep into this cistern. Now it's going to finally hold water and it doesn't. And eventually God sometimes in his mercy will pull us out of those cisterns. I know that's happened to me in my life over the years with, you know, my, I bet even if you were to look at my career in the music industry that that was a, probably a cistern for me. I don't know about you, Mo, but like when I was, when I could say I was an artist manager, an artist agent, didn't that feel like a better answer on an airplane? <laughs> oh, sure. Right, than a pastor? Yeah. Uh, and for the longest time, I would even say on a plane or someone asked what I did for a living, I would say, well, I lead a nonprofit. <laughs> Safe answer. <laughs> Which is technically true. Do you still say that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I do say pastor, but I'll, I'll say sometimes you, you, you have to spell it with, uh, with two S's to try to make it funny. Um, but I think that I had a, uh, I just feel like that that was probably where I was getting a lot of purpose and meaning in my life was from that. And that the idea of being a pastor was embarrassing for me. So I would say this, if anybody's ever worried about me getting my identity from being a pastor, that one I think I'm pretty safe from because I'm over here not wanting any identity from this at all. Like I thought, you know this was for sure where I love it. I don't, I've never could think of anything I would ever rather do than what I'm doing right now. And yet when I, when someone says you're a pastor or even when I see it, like on a, there's a, a card in the office up there and it says pastor Darren Tyler. And I'm, it, that's still kind of like, Ew, I don't really like that. I just want to be Darren, you know, <laughs> but yeah, coming out of that, that career for me was hard. I mean, I don't, did you feel that when you were so the thing, plucked out of the music industry? My, my big takeaway from that decade of my life was if, if, if I was to ever write a book, it would be called The Chase because what I found was that it was a very leaky cistern, meaning you're constantly chasing the single, you're chasing the co-write, you're chasing the tour, you're chasing the album, you're chasing the endorsement, um, you're chasing the award, you're chasing the nomination. Like it keeps coming, right? And you Never achieve stops. all of those things, which yeah. have some really fun stories about things that were achieved, right? But once that's achieved, then you got to do it again, like mm -hmm. the next album cycle for the next artist. Right. And then the chase keeps going. And so it's like you're drinking from a cup that never quenches. Like you just, you're chugging. You're so right, dude. You can never quench the thirst of that thing. Yeah. Cause you get to get done with that, but I got to get another record and we still got to get another hit and it, we got to, yeah, there's never a period at the end of the sentence. It's always a comma. And yeah. that's a leaky cistern. You know, that's, that's something that doesn't fulfill yeah. that leaves you dry. And I would say that that it's, what's important about it is that it's a good thing. Like having a career is a good thing. Oh, oh, absolutely. You know, it's just when I make the good thing an ultimate thing, the thing, yeah, that right. that is where I'm getting my meaning and my purpose from. Correct. Um, I've, I've joked about it before, but it really was a weird moment for me when we moved from the farm and I'm, I'm taking down the gold records off of my wall <laughs> right. and realizing what do I do with these now? Like these were literally my life and my kids have no idea who audio adrenaline is. They don't know who Avalon is. They don't know who Jackie Velasquez is. It was your coat of many Sad. colors. It was my coat of many colors. <laughs> it was my coat of many albums. Right. Yeah. And it's in an attic somewhere right now. Yeah. Um, I, and I don't think that's, I don't think that's bad. Cause I haven't, cause I can't really throw them away. I don't want to sell them in a, in a garage sale and, you know, someday I guess I'll, it'll be like the fine China of our family. I'll pass down gold records totally. that my kids will throw in a, a Goodwill store. But 
but those things are important. They they commemorate some yeah. really hard work, incredible relationships. It's an achievement that was accomplished and rewarded for. That's not the issue. The issue yeah. is that it's if that's what you are living for, then you're coming up thirsty pretty quickly. Yeah. And you know what? So that's interesting. So maybe that's why there was a, I just had a moment. Maybe that was the moment when I didn't put them on the wall, but I put them in the attic. Yeah. Because I'm no longer Darren, the former artist manager. I get to be Darren, the pastor now. Yeah. And there's uh, a reason you didn't just throw them away because they still mean something. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we worked hard for that. Yeah, man. You I get down, he lifts stuff. me up, man. Audio adrenaline, baby. We were <laughs> we worked hard in those days, but putting purpose and meaning in it was uh, I I for sure I for sure can say that that was a big part of my life. That without having that attached to it, it was a different world for me. Um, you know, you go to a place like Haiti, and not only do they not know who Audio Adrenaline is, they actually don't care. They just right. they're trying to feed themselves today. They're trying to. There was a a weird juxtaposition, but I could tell you that even that can become an empty cistern. Yeah. Um, it was a danger for me to now replace that purpose and meaning with this purpose and meaning. And there's always going to be another hungry person. There's always going to be another, uh, Jesus said the poor is always going to be with you, not to get you off the hook, but just so that you don't just take it all on yourself because you're never going to save it from. And so would you say that that was a cistern that you put yourself into and weren't pushed into? The, the going to like to Haiti. No, there's the music industry oh, okay. and, and the, the, you know, trying to achieve this thing. Was that something that you put yourself into? Oh, I dug that one. You yeah. dug your own. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's the, the question. Did you dig your own hole or did you get pushed mm-hmm. into it? Oh yeah. I dug that one all the way down. Now there's an argument that the cistern that I found in uh, Haiti in Uganda was one I was pushed into. Um, because at, at the beginning stages I was going there because I had, uh, you know, I was the kid that was, that was left out. I was the kid that was on my own. I was, and so I had this anger for that. And so in those early days, I think if I were being honest, I was going down there out of complete unhealth. Mm. Um, and I love Jesus cause he says in your weakness, I'm strong. So he's mm-hmm. like, okay, even, even though that's your weakness, I'm still going to uh, be glorified in this, but it's different today. Um, cause I'm not going there to try to get my dad to be proud of me anymore. I'm going there because Jesus is calling me there. Cause your oh. father asked you to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like that, you know, it, it took it off. So like th- they're no longer a project. They're my friends. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that was huge for me. And, and Audrey, I mean, as, as a, as a teenager, early 20, like you were traveling and doing a lot of mission work and stuff yeah. like, come out of the gate too. Like yeah, you've been sure. kind of all over the world. Yeah. Well, bit. including India. Mm-hmm. Can we say India? Yeah, we can say. Yeah, India. we can say that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, but you know, over this past year, though, like as you are ministering to families and to moms specifically, like, are you hearing some of those things too? Like, hmm, that's a good question. You know, moms, you know, leading their families, leading their kids in this pandemic world, like trying to find the sense of sanity mm. in the middle of all of it. Totally, totally. I mean, every week whether it's a mom coming to me directly or asking for help for another mom they know, whether it's anxiety or fear, fear is huge. Not just of what if my family gets the COVID, (laughs) but you know, how do I raise my kid in this world, my kids in this world where we're not allowed to do and say or think these things, but we have to follow these rules and where does Jesus fit into it? And where does the church fit into it? And what do I do? This isn't how I was raised. Hmm. Just a lot, a lot of questions, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. So I read a a quote from Sunday um, when we we started. uh, I was really intrigued by it because historically, when people speak of like an empty cistern and they speak of uh, specifically of sex, they would would attach that to to males. But in uh, as our society has continued its slide, it's no longer just males but but the quote from this article talking about this sex cult in california the founder of it which you know she's recruited everybody from gwyneth paltrow to silicon valley but she said this about this was what made her start this empty cistern because she's actually being investigated on a federal level and will probably go to prison Mm. um but she said young and this jumped out at me because we're in williamson county middle tennessee young and not so young women their bank balances Boeing under the weight of Pilates classes, 
acid facials, juicing whatever fruit from the Amazon happened to be fashionable that week, came seeking the answer to what this woman, Diadone, had uh, spelled out in her TEDx talk as the Western woman's mantra. And this was her mantra that she, was, that she built her empire on. I work too much, I eat too much, I diet too much, I drink too much, I shop too much, I give too much, and still there's this sense of hunger that I can't touch. So for them, they were turning, specifically in this one, and I know there will be people in our own community. I mean, the thing about being a pastor, that I thought I'd seen everything. I mean, let's be honest, we were managing rock bands. I thought I'd seen everything. But it turns out I had not even scratched the surface of the debauchery that humans are capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I figured out was in a place where like Williamson County, Middle Tennessee, where there's people with a lot of wealth, they actually have a lot of money, which means they can try some really bad ideas because they can hide behind it in their big houses. When I was young, I had a lot of really bad ideas, but I couldn't afford to try any of them, so I don't have any <laughs> yeah. money. But it turns out now they can. Uh, but it's not just the big stuff. Like, I mean, are there, Audrey, like when you're around, like with your friends right now, I mean, what, like, what do you think is the most common empty cistern where moms, young moms, like I guess most moms are young, uh, are trying to find their purpose and meaning right now that's outside of a Christian slash Jesus world? That's, or maybe to ask it differently, like what's the most anxious thing that women are experiencing right now as parents? That's a big question. Oof. Yeah, that is a big question. Um, I will say what I hear the most of, for sure, whether it's said in this fashion or not, is I'm not doing as much or as well as whatever person posted on their story hmm. today. I'm not feeding my kids as organic, <laughs> hmm. organically as they are, or I'm not putting makeup on every day, or whatever, whatever. Right their thing they think they should be doing yeah is um so i'm not doing that or so is motherhood the let me rephrase that is this appearance of what motherhood was supposed to be like because of social media is that the empty cistern you're talking about oh i think so yeah i think i think i would definitely say yes you found the words i was looking for yeah yeah like I want to be careful because obviously being a mom is important and it's a, it's a, it's a noble and what's amazing. I mean, women can make babies. Like I, I, that's, we ought to just stop and praise the Lord for that. That's crazy. <laughs> right. Like the woman, the female body makes a baby. Like that's crazy. It's nuts. But then trying to keep up with the other, uh, cause I mean, I, I'm a, I mean, I'm a 50 year old guy. My, my, oldest is 25 my youngest is 15 like we, we, we forget he's there half the time <laughs> but you know I'll look at like what moms are posting on like uh, homeschool moms and, and and here's the thing they're actually they're not bad people they're actually this is what we're doing today and I'm doing this I'm like man I sucked as a father apparently like <laughs> we didn't do any of that stuff with my kid like somehow they survived yeah. at all but but if I was in the middle of it like I, I can't even imagine what that would have felt like as a as a young father like of all the things that because all I'm really seeing is if I've got like 25 or 30 moms or dads and all I'm seeing is those 25 or 30 posts, then I assume that everybody's, I'm trying to take the right. best of everybody's world and make it mine. Totally. Gosh, that would be exhausting. Yeah. Do you well, buy, you don't seem to buy into that though. Um, not in that way. I really don't. I can honestly say that's not, that's not truly one of my struggles. Um, with our story being different with the road to you know, between infertility and miscarriage and all of that, I have learned to, and I, I tell people this all the time. Like I, I feel like I'm a pretty old parent for this age group. Hmm. (laughs) And I thank the Lord for that because I am like, he, he gave us our daughter at this time for a reason. Um, and being able to hone in on what my gifts are and what my gifts aren't and being really content with that and i'm not i'm not all the time yeah. instagram isn't really my my thing but i'm like oh i should probably like stop just i should probably put my kid on a schedule but there's just so many things like <laughs> i want to oh. do <laughs> it's kind of selfish but hmm. well it's the comparison <laughs> game right instagram is the comparison game for sure, for sure. but it, and it honestly kind of reminds me a lot of genesis 37 i mean the brothers comparing themselves to what's happening to joseph uh-huh and it's just not a new idea. The one, the motivation that they had was jealousy. 
Yeah, like that. It said because they were jealous. And remember, envy is you have something that I want, but jealousy is you have something that could cause me to lose what I have. Like it's a a fear of losing something is where jealousy is from. And so if it's a fear of contentment, you're going to take that away from me. A fear of control, you're going to take that away from me. Like that's what the the social media, I mean, literally the social media machine is actually built on comparison. Like that's 100% what it is. Mm. You know, I've had to, I, I, it's funny because I'll like I'll get really excited and like we uh, Easter is a great example. We posted our Easter and uh, the pictures. It was just amazing. Like oh my goodness, how many people are here? But if you're a pastor that did not have that happen on your day, yeah, like it's a punch in the gut for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know, so do I stop posting altogether, or do they get their act together? Like it's it's just it's just so complicated because you know on the one hand you want to celebrate and and joy and the other hand i don't know maybe maybe the genie's out of the bottle but man it sure would be a lot better if we could cram it back in right now as far as christianity goes because it gets even more complicated when i i mean if you look at my instagram feed or facebook feed in the last few years what you will never see is a photo of my house from the exterior Mm -hmm. and i learned that because i'm in haiti with people that i love dearly and they've all 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 it's one of the only remaining reasons I haven't maintained a Facebook presence. <laughs> They've all got Facebook. They're all messaging <laughs> on Facebook. All wow. of them. So now. <laughs> yeah. And I post a photo of my house, which in Williamson County is probably, would you say middle of the road, you know, for, yeah. Yeah. Probably I mean, for, for, days, for Williamson yeah. County. Listen, yeah. yeah. Um, like there's, there's no uh, gold lame. There's no bronze horse statue with a fountain in the front yard. Did you yard. say gold bidet? Gold lame. Oh, lame. <laughs> Did you say bidet? <laughs> I thought you said bidet. Well, that's, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> Uh, if you're looking for what Darren wants for Christmas, I'm telling you, I went to Europe last year and it was a game changer. Oh, no. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, like fresh yes. and clean? Yeah. Uh, but yes. I would never post a photo because if... How'd you travel with me? I mean, you've traveled too, Mo. Like, a really, really nice house in Haiti. Oh, yeah. You could unzip my house, put it in the downstairs, and have plenty of room left yeah. over. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to stop with that because the comparison thing, like, it could really yeah. cause... Uh, at the core of our hearts. I mean, it's why one of the seven deadly sins, right, is envy. Like, it's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us to at least recognize it and to actually have, like, joy for those things that are happening. Because, you know, uh, if you're Joseph's brothers, he's, he's 17. He's probably being a little bit of a weasel. I mean, we don't want to besmirch his character. But, you know, I, I, I was 17, and I was 100% a weasel, like government certified, USDA approved. You could have put the real seal of weasel on me at 17 years old because I'm a 17 year old guy. And he probably irritated his brothers a little bit. And at the same time, the jealousy that they felt, it was not his fault that his dad loved them him more. It wasn't his fault. He didn't do that. Mm-hmm. That was his dad. So he's now being punished for his dad's sin, mm-hmm. which is what I wanted to flip the script and say this that the empty cistern that I have, whether it's my career, whether it's relationship, my ministry, uh, it becomes someone else's pit. So for the brothers, they're digging it, trying to get their problem solved, didn't happen. But for Joseph, that's a pit. You know, is it Joseph's fault that he uh, got thrown in a pit? The answer is absolutely not. That's like 100%. way over the top it's victim like to blame him for his brother's murderous thoughts is pretty harsh you know should joseph have probably got into some counseling and some therapy you know man i would have i don't know how much the therapist would have charged for that but it wouldn't have been enough i assure Definitely you not enough. so joseph is in that pit and that's the thing that is important for us is that all have sinned all have fallen short of the glory of god is what romans tells us and so when I'm out there digging that empty cistern, it becomes someone else's pit. And so for me, my career becoming the cistern that I'm digging and digging and digging and digging, and my dutiful wife is at home alone again, late into the night. I come home, I don't want to be around anybody because I've been around people all day long. She doesn't want to be, you know. So I'm, I'm, my career is like her pit because yeah. it becomes this lonely existence that she is now in by no fault of her own. Uh, and it's, you know, not unlike 
what happened with Joseph, it was a lot of stuff that her father did that it was not my fault, but I'm still paying for the sins of his past while now heaping my own on top of it. And now she's in the pit. And I think that's the thing. The Bible sometimes translates it pit. Sometimes it translates it cisterns because both are true depending on whether you're in it or whether you're above it. And so like in a marriage, her pit was my cistern and the other way around. The, the, the cistern where she would try to get her purpose and meaning from is the pit that I'm in. And it's like the idea, I think, once I realized that the purpose of marriage was not for me to be happy uh, or to make her happy, but the purpose of marriage, uh, Tim Keller's book on marriage is just amazing, but is to make each other into the image of Christ. Mm-hmm. Like I, every day I'm doing this, I'm making her more like Christ. And every day she's doing is making me more like Christ. Now, would it be better if it were flashcards and we're just memorizing scripture together and we were, you know, Dennis and Barb Rainey, you know, writing the books. Like, yeah, I'm sure that would have been a lot more fun for her, but that's not how it went. She's in a pit. I'm in a pit. But the thing about Joseph is that every day he was in the pit, he moves from that to the prison, you know, or into the palace. Every day he's looking more and more and more like Jesus. And I think that that's part of the, the mercy of God is that my sister for my wife, 26 years in, She's more like Jesus than she was 26 years ago. I'm way more like Jesus than I was 20, which is not saying a lot, if we're being really honest. 26 <laughs> years ago, I was not much like Jesus. So I could have like been 10 times more and still not been very much like Jesus. I'm much more like Jesus than I was. Uh, and it was the fights. It was the storming out of the rooms. It was the me disconnecting and going into the other room and day by day by year, becoming more like Jesus. Well, because you figured out how to stop breaking your cistern and now it holds water yeah and it brings life yeah yeah when you when i finally stopped on that side of it like and went back to jesus like okay this is all it was to, to begin with it was always jesus mm. um john 2 when he encounters the samaritan woman and he tells her that uh you know she's come to get water and she's you know can you get me some water jesus says and she's you know, he, it's the famous one, John 2, he starts telling her, well, you, you know, are you, where, where's your husband? I have no husband. He's, you, you told me, right, you've got five husbands, and the one you're with right now isn't your husband. You're, and she's like, I, my favorite line of the Bible, I discern that you are a prophet. Uh, <laughs> uh, but what he's showing her was that all of those, this water that you're here to drink today is for your physical thirst, but every one of those husbands, every one of those other, that was an empty cistern that you finally abandoned because it didn't fill it, but then you just started digging another one. Yeah. But I have water that if you drink from this water, you'll never thirst again. And that's Jesus. It's not religion. It's not science. It's not uh, my career. And maybe in his mercy, he lets us go digging in the desert. Because eventually we always come back to it's empty. And, you know, you can take another lap around this mountain. You can start digging another cistern. Or I could finally just, you know, jump in the river, the stream of living water. Yeah, I really wish our American church could get a hold of that right now. Oh yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's disheartening kind of the, the things that we're hearing and the things that we're seeing, um, where, you know, just where churches or leaders, Christians, where their hope and their faith lies right now. Yeah. Um, and I would like to think that we're further down the line over the, you know, this past year and a half, to where maybe folks are kind of coming to that reality of yeah, Jesus what, is the truth. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> um, but I still, I still see a lot of work to be done with that. And I just think that's a message that I, I really hope that uh, Western society especially can, can really wrap their heads around. Yeah, because in our world, like ministry can become its own cistern. Even right. the, 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 the a church itself can become its own cistern. I'm, I'm so grateful that the Lord... Uh, didn't listen to my mom and uh, make me be a pastor like right out of Bible college. I can't even imagine how many lives I would have ruined. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I've done a bad enough job as it is in 10 years, let alone if I'd have started when I was 20. And you would have had a mullet though. You would have ah, a mullet pastor. That's fair. <laughs> there would be church directories out there with uh, Darren's mullet. <laughs> Thankfully, there would be none with a mustache. There would be with a goatee. I would for sure have that or the Manchu, whatever. But the ministry itself becomes its own cistern. You know, it's about numbers. It's about statistics. It's about giving units. It's about competition. And I think that what most people that would, they say they've experienced church hurt 
um, that's probably what they've experienced is uh, pastors or leaders or system based on someone getting purpose and meaning out of uh, the organization, the, the, the you know, production right. mm-hmm. as opposed to, to Jesus. And, you know, I promise you that you could look not very far over the last 11 years and find people that probably ran into my empty cisterns when I was doing it here, sure. you know? Um, and I guess that if there's anything, if that's you and you've been in that situation where you've actually been hurt by uh, someone in a church, can I just say uh, everyone has? Like it's, if you haven't yet, then you haven't been a part of one long enough. Mm-hmm. And your question will be, do I pitch a tent and, and make a home in this pit or do I allow it to make me more like Jesus? Because um, I think when I look back even to the early stages of the church here, I was defining us by what we're not. Mm-hmm. We're not this and we're not that. And that's not leading. That's just complaining. You know, that's mm-hmm. like Jesus saying, look, Darren, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but like actually put your money where your mouth is. If, you know, is say who you are and what you're about. And, uh, and that was a huge help for me because... Uh, we're going to hurt people again. Like we're, you know, I've, I've told people in the past, if your last experience with your church was, you know, was bad, I'm, I'm sorry. And I hate that. Um, there are ways that we're, we're going to not let you down, but I promise we'll make up new ways to let you down. Like we're going to try real hard, but our doors are open. You can, you know, communicate with us, but to pitch a tent in the, in the, in the pit and say, this is now my identity is that is I'm a yeah. wounded church person. It doesn't sound like Jesus to me. Like no. let, you know, and I would say if you're in a situation right now where you actually feel like you maybe are like in a weird abusive situation, go ahead and leave. Like you don't have to stay there. Like there's no reason to stay. Uh, and that's true of a marriage. You know, if you're, I'm not saying if you're, uh, you're in a relationship right now where, you know, I'm saying that his empty, uh, his empty cistern is your pit and you're being physically abused or sexually abused. You do not have to stay for that. Like go and, and if, find help. Like we would be happy to help you with that. Be sure that you understand that's not what I'm saying. The pit part is the emotional harm and the emotional damage that at some point, um, at some point you can move from the victim into victor thing. Cause mm-hmm. you know, don't let that have the power over you. That's not what Jesus came to do to let you stay in the pit. Jesus came that to rise from his own pit and to lead you out of that as well. And as long as we're in the Genesis three world, there is no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. There's no such thing as a perfect person. So Jesus gives you the power to over the sin to quit digging your own cisterns. And he also gives you the power to get out of the pit. If you've been trapped by someone else's, I know that's kind of a rambling thing, but I just think it's important for us to communicate that, that we have, there's work to do in the kingdom of God and us getting tied up and bound up in, uh, in throwing rocks at each other. Um, as opposed to rising up and doing the call, you know, the, the, you know, the, the calling that he's got upon all of us, going to all the world and make disciples of all men. Mm-hmm. I find no ministry anywhere in the Bible where the ministry of throwing rocks uh, at other churches, throwing rocks at other pastors or whatever, you know, that's... Um, there was a guy back in the 90s named Hank Hanegraaff. Do you guys remember Hank Hanegraaff? I've heard the name, He yeah. was the Bible answer man. Okay. Cantankerous. And his entire shtick was on the radio to uh, uh, out other false doctrine. Wow. Which, yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because hmm. that's his whole shtick. And, he, you know, he's on a bunch of radio stations. He was the Bible answer man, had a huge following. And, of course, ultimately, he falls in his own pit. And, you know, I, I don't even know if he's alive anymore. But, ultimately, his own doctrine got, like, super, super squirrely. Interesting. Um, he sort of wrote, like, the counter to the Left Behind series, which was, like, a preterism series or anyway. Um, I, anyway, I just think that... There's a lot going on right now in the internet. There's a lot that goes on on Twitter with people throwing rocks uh, at other ministries. And uh, I personally don't want any part of it. I just want to, you know, Jesus is Lord. Let Jesus figure that stuff. I'm not Holy Ghost Jr. There's a lot of hungry children in this world. There's a lot of slaves still in Asia. There's a lot to be done uh, to get busy about. And me uh, tweeting mean things about other pastors is just, that doesn't need to be on the list. No, mm-hmm. no, that's a, that's a poisonous sister. And that's, that's where the, the water's got some poison in it at that point. For Audrey, sure. so we're going through Joseph. Mm-hmm. Are, 
do you do you have do you have any flannel graph? Do you have any video series as for you the were, kids? As you were saying that, I was wondering where my flannel graph budget is. Do you even know what a flannel graph is? Yes, I grew up on flannel graph. Good. Audrey Nicole Pate, you did not either. That's not my name anymore, but I did. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I've known Audrey since she was still Audrey Pate, and also Audrey Nicole is Nicoco. Anyway, uh, but I, there was no flannel graph at Father's House Church before that. There was flannel graph? Yeah. Fascinating. There was totally flannel graph. Hmm. Yeah. Um, what was that church called? It was like the pre-Father's House. Father's and did VeggieTales come out with an episode with Joseph? That's culturally yeah, relevant right there. Yeah. Joseph in the Technicolor raincoat. That's it was right. a raincoat. It was a raincoat. <laughs> yes. Or multicolor raincoat. Yeah, something right? like that. Yeah. Something. Glorious. Yeah. You can't, can't miss a really great opportunity. <laughs> totally. This week... Empty cisterns. This is leading up to the next part of chapter 37, which is, Darren? Actually, we're moving into 39, so we're skipping over 38. 38, okay. Okay. And you're asking why, uh, because I've only got six weeks, right? So we are seven weeks. We're going to buzz through this. But we're skipping 38 only because it tied, I tied 38 into chapter 37 because it's like this, here's Judah taking his... Uh, the scenic route to the kingdom of God. And by the way, we're going to get to a point where Judah is redeemed as well. Um, but not in 38. 38, he is sleeping with his daughter-in-law, who he thinks is a temple prostitute. Because that's better. Because that's a better thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and by the way, in the grand scheme, Joseph don't look so bad, you know. But um, <laughs> you're, you're not wrong but about we're that. moving into chapter 39, and he is moving into uh, the famous Potiphar's house. And Mrs. Potiphar... Uh, is going to seduce him. And once again, uh, a coat is going to get Joseph in trouble. (laughs) She rips the coat off of him and and, and accuses him, and he ends up in prison. And that's literally what we're... If I were to try to sum up this Sunday, it's that standing for principles that are just and true uh, and righteous always comes with a cost. Um, mm. Younger, I thought I was naive thinking if I stand for what's just and true or whatever, then everybody would like me and it would be awesome. And boy, was that dumb. And what we're seeing right now in, in our modern context, you know, we've been really sheltered. This is, if you're in Pakistan, if you're in uh, India and you live a Christian witness, you already know that that's not going to make you popular. Mm-hmm. This is brand new information. We're kind of catching up to the rest of history here. Totally. But Joseph in uh, this house stands with righteousness. And, uh, and by the way, even before the law, he stands up for a, like what we would call now a, a Christian sexual ethic. Uh, and he's not rewarded for it, but is actually uh, punished for it. Yeah. And what I am fascinated by is that how, how, would you, how do you respond to that? Because that is injustice, 100% unjust what happened to him. And so there's this delicate dance how do I stand up for justice, but also know that Jesus can still be with me uh, in the prison? You know. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this Sunday, uh, and and then hopefully in the next deeper podcast oh, as well. That's good. Can I say something I love about Joseph? Yes, Audrey. This is we're getting growth here. This is great. <laughs> I I just feel like my negative opinions stand out because they're so shocking. But I wouldn't even say negative. Just different contrary (laughs) contrary for sure um i what i love most about the story of joseph is time and time again it it there is injustice there is humans like whether it's his brothers or potiphar's wife or just his his just everything through and through it's like just so unfair but god goes before that there isn't people there are no social justice warriors out to protect him and fight his battles for him and make a gofundme it's just him and the Lord. And it's mm. the most amazing form of justice. And I feel like I find freedom in that. Yeah. When I do see injustices and I'm like, what can I do? And praying feels like it's not enough. Mm. But then seeing the redemption of Joseph through the lens of God and what yeah. he can do. And even the king, you know, the king of Egypt is like, you're, you're pow- sorry, skipping ahead here, but yeah. like you're just consider yourself as powerful as me because like who could do that other than God? Like go from an empty cistern to governor yeah. of Egypt, yep. not overnight, but 
And that's that's one of the things I told my girls in our Bible studies. I was like, I just, <laughs> this isn't a bad, bad thing, but I'm like, I feel like he gets all this, credit isn't the right word, but he gets all, he's known for his trials, but he starts on top and he ends on top. And I don't feel that bad for him because he wouldn't be the man that he needed to be if he didn't go through the trials. So can we just huh. give them credit? Can we just be like, <laughs> thanks, thanks God for like letting him do that and go through those hard things. And like you being with him and even when he's in jail, being in charge of the jail and yeah. like, that's really cool. Why are we acting like he's a victim? I do see where he's a victim. I'm yeah. not blind to that. Yeah, but you make a good theological point that's actually worth ending with, and that is that without those things, he wouldn't be where he was. Totally not. And <laughs> the strong times or hard times created a strong man. Mm-hmm. And even with, in a Judah generation. generation. Yeah. Yeah. When you think to those moments, um, he could have protested in the prison. Uh, he, he could have went on a hunger strike in the prison. But instead, he was, uh, you know, a, right, a, a righteous in the prison. It says he prospered in the prison. It's fascinating to me, um, which means the biblical definition of prosperous much not uh, can't mean what you have, right? I think that someone said once that it's about uh, wanting what you have instead of getting what you want, or mm. something like that. Like that's mm -hmm. the definition of prosperity is wanting what you yes. get, uh, which is where Joseph was. So yeah, we'll we'll be there. Uh, we'll be there soon. Audrey, thank you for joining us today. Hey, this thanks for having me. Jumping in. <laughs> and you may hear noise in the background yet again. There's, we cannot find a corner of this 13,000 square feet, and we can't find a spot. The there entire place is being renovated. Corners. Our new uh, facility is uh, almost complete. We are nearing uh, the, the, the day, the time where we can announce uh, our grand opening. We're on the, the cusp, maybe four to five to six weeks away, somewhere in there. Um, but so, yeah, over the past several months, we've apologized over and over for all the noise in the background. Today is uh, another day we will do that. Um, but thank you for joining us. Thank you for, for spending time each and every week that we do this. Thank you for tuning in on YouTube, on our live stream. We had uh, just a fantastic amount of viewers this week. Did People we really? joined online, yeah. And, uh -huh. um, and, and many of you are, are, are coming by, even on a Sunday. And if, if you haven't yet, you are welcome to join us at 8.30, 10 a.m. or 11.30 each and every Sunday here in Franklin. And you can find all the information about everything we've talked about at conduitchurch.com. And we're just grateful that we have folks that, that join us each and every week. So we look forward to having you join us again next week. Bye.